the point of this is to provide the best facts-driven show that we possibly can. Ideally, you have a glue guy. Who is good? Hashtag glue guy. Hashtag locker room guy. You can't go sign Bobby Holik to a trillion dollars. You can't do these things. Very satisfying. The absolute best NYR show in town. This is the Liberty Blue. Liberty Blue. Rangers Podcast. Rangers Podcast. With Andrew Shelby. Andrew Shelby. And Nick Zoraris. Zoraris. fans, welcome to Liberty Blue, the essential New York Rangers podcast. I'm Andrew Chelney, alongside Nick Zararis and Nick. They look pretty miserable against Toronto. They bounced back against Anaheim, looked good there, and the win against the Bruins was arguably one of their best. They dominated for stretches of that game. Uh, I'd like to shout out that old guy who bought me a shot at the bar on Saturday night, who every single time the puck would enter the Rangers zone and be within 15 feet of the net, he would scream, get in there and bang on the counter of the bar every single time the Rangers entered the offensive zone. And as you just illustrated, the Rangers spent a vast majority of that game in the Bruins offensive zone. So every minute and a half or so, this guy who was definitely in his 60s, banging on the counter like he was the only person in there, like it was his living room. But shout out that guy. Uh, great performance against Ball. Boston really did a great job controlling the center lane of the ice, something we haven't seen the Rangers do a particularly good job of during this recent lull where, you know, they lost three of four going into last week and they hadn't played great in a couple weeks. The defense in particular is concerning and against a Boston team, which will be fair. Boston's missing McAvoy. They're missing some of their important players, but you can only play who's in front of you. They did a really good job defensively. And that's something as to why I haven't been as concerned is we know this group is capable of playing defense at a pretty high level when all six of their defensemen are healthy and when their forward group is healthy they're pretty good at controlling possession of the puck and even if it's not being elite shot suppressors if they have the puck in the other zone they don't have to play defense and this iteration of the rangers in particular has shown the ability to do that at a high level and to do it against a team like boston which is really good both ends of the ice offense and defense that's an encouraging sign that even without key players like the rangers are missing two top nine forwards or top six if you want to be a little generous you know, missing Kako and Hedl, that that's a really encouraging performance, especially, you know, like we've said a lot this year, it's not so much how they lose, it's how they respond to when they lose that's been encouraging about this group. The game against Toronto was ugly. There, there, no ifs, ands, or buts. They came out flat. Toronto outclassed them. They outworked them, and they came out really flat. They came out, took care of business against Anaheim, and then the Bruins game, I'd agree with you. That's probably their best win of the season. They just... It's one of those games where they came in and they showed up and were like, hey, this we're we're one of the best. So are they. But we're here to show that, you know, this is not just a fluke and we're here because, you know, we have all this talent. Like we're here because we actually play well. And the Bruins, like some of it, a lot of it was the Rangers playing really well. Some of it was like the Bruins were not in sync, especially in the, if you watch the overtime goal again, Vincent Trocek was just kind of left all alone. You see all three Bruins forwards kind of standing in one line. Trocek just kind of skates in behind them. The Bruins players kind of don't do anything about it. And they eat, and then I think it was Panarin with the great pass to the goal. Bang, that the game is over. So the Rangers did a really, really good job of bouncing back from that. Because you said, you said it, and I agree. That game against Toronto was awful. I mean, it was a it was a train wreck for for a vast majority of that game. 
the bounce back against Anaheim was good, but you expect like these are the teams that you expect to beat. Anaheim was a good bounce back game against the against the Leafs. Bad game. You expect to uh, you, when when you play a bad team coming off of a bad loss against a good team that you should be angry. You should want to dominate that game, and they did. It was a five-one score. Adam Edstrom first NHL goal. That had somebody Elias Elias Sports Bureau get in my DMs. What is the absolute latest somebody has scored their first NHL goal? Because that's it, it was like what three seconds to go, and he sc- and Adam Edstrom scored his first. That has to be one of the latest ever in recorded show history so it's pretty cool but then you have to it was a back-to-back as well to go from that anaheim game to one of the best teams in the league yeah they're missing mcavoy but the rangers are missing two key forwards as well like this this was this was something that it, it wasn't the rangers at full strength versus the bruins with you know three guys off the street like this this was this was still going to be a really tough battle and the Rangers dominated for for large stretches the puck was in the Bruins zone for a lot of that game and it was very impressive to watch Jeremy Swayman had a great game kept the Bruins in it Shesterkin had a great game as well and you know to the to the Rangers credit they 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 played a team game a, a team coordinated game and it showed both in possession time and also on the scoreboard they they had a really good game when you are in a game like that against a team like the Bruins, it's natural you get that existential dread feeling of, oh no, they're going to waste a great Shesterkin performance, which was a recurring sentiment I saw a lot of on Twitter on Saturday night as the game was developing because they didn't score till late in the game. I want to say 10 minutes to go in the third period. They tied it at one and then they forced overtime. I think it was like eight and, and a half to go, something like that. Some, something like that, yeah. One of those games where you felt at that pit in your stomach like, damn, Shesterkin bounced back, he's having a good start, and they just can't pick him up. But again, this group has shown the ability to find ways to win in these games where sometimes it really is just one guy making things happen like it was Trocek on Saturday. Every now and then you find ways where it's going to take everybody when you are missing players and when you're a team like the Rangers that isn't amazing at driving play at five on five you are going to need individual players to have good games. And that's really been the story of the Rangers this year is individual players stepping up and having those big games at key moments. The one I'll probably talk about all year is the two goal Jimmy Vesey game against the devils where Jimmy Vesey has got no business scoring two goals against the devils, you know, in 11 minutes of ice time. But when you are a good team, you put your players in the best position possible. And that's where we get into this idea of, you know, luck where it's luck is what happens when skill meets opportunity. That's the way I like to describe it. And yes, the Rangers have been put getting that in fortunate. a fortune cookie. I don't know if I came up with that or if I stole that from somebody in all honesty, because I've been saying that forever, but that's really what, where we're at with this Rangers team. Cause a lot of people, and I know both, both ESPN and the athletic wrote like long form a- analysis of the Rangers last week of are the Rangers for real. The athletic was more on the side of yes. ESPN was a little bit more of, we have to see a little bit more because the five on five play isn't there, even though the special teams and the pen and the goaltending has been for the most part. So I think what people miss when they, say that and when they do the drop down view like that where you're probably if you're writing that type of piece you're probably not watching the rangers every given night which if you're a national columnist you're not you're going to bounce around you're going to watch different teams and different situations because you need to have a general temperature of the league but people who watch the rangers on a nightly basis 
they see something different in this group than of the last couple of years. And that's what's encouraging. And that's kind of why, even though the results, uh, the process, excuse me, the five on five results aren't that different from the last couple of years. And we talked about this a few weeks ago. The vibe is entirely different. The, the energy around the team is entirely different. I mean, you see it in the post game stuff where uh, white guy humor is very corny. Like calling Trocheck Trocho Cinco is like peak 2008 frat humor. Like, I like those are all guys who grew up watching Chad Johnson play wide receiver for the Bengals and wanted to keep that Ocho Cinco thing going. Like, that's very 2008 white frat bro humor, but that's good vibes for a hockey team because these are all incredibly corny people. The New York Rangers, 2008 white corny humor. TM, yes. just put that, just make that into a banner, put it, put that in the locker room and just hang it up. That's, that's going to be the, the vibe of this season. Yeah. I mean, the, the, it, it lo- even though the results might be similar in terms of their, you know, analytics and, and their 505 play is better. I think it's, it, they, they at least look a little bit more dangerous at 515. They're not just dumping it in and just hoping for the best to stay alive at 515. Yeah. You still see stretches of that, but I think overall they are a more dangerous team at five on five simply because of the fact that they're not holding on for dear life as much as maybe they they used to do under Gerard Gallant. But the vibe is different. That the the vibe of this team is way different than it even was last season of, oh, it doesn't matter. The regular season doesn't matter. We're going to get to the playoffs. Oh, we're so skilled. Oh, it doesn't matter. And then they got dumpstered in the first round because of course of course they did because that's when you have that mentality going into the playoffs it tends to not go well but now off of off of that first round playoff loss you come into the season you got a new coach you got a new system you got new things in place this is this looks like a team that believes it can contend and they've played like it for the most part there's been some hiccups here and there the toronto game one of them chidoin chidoin that was bad don't do that again, please. I'm I'm on my knees at this Walmart. Don't do that again, please. Thank you. But overall, they've looked like a much more composed team and a team that just doesn't like just has a a, a swagger to them that that they didn't. We're not have allowed in, to use in, the word swagger. David shut, oh, shut up, Nick. I do what I swagger. want, Nick. Shut up. But uh, but like this, they they just have that confidence to them, and it is it's 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 really great to see. David Quinn has ruined the word swagger indefinitely. That word is not allowed to be associated with the New York Rangers. (laughs) I'm I'm making a ruling on that. Uh, Speaking of that, and one component within that, and Corey Schneider put it out over the weekend, so I haven't had a full – I haven't had the time to do the real deep dive on the all three zones, the transition stuff. But my cursory glance at that yesterday, I did spend some time on that yesterday afternoon because 1 o'clock football games were so bad. I I took some time to go through that and just – one thing that did jump out to me was that they are a little bit cleaner of getting out of their own zone, going from defense to offense. It's not a huge increase from last year, but being that they were so bad at going from defense to offense last year, a marginal improvement in that category has made a significant difference. And that's why, to your point, the analytics aren't that different. They're within about a percentage point of most of the benchmarks of last year of high danger scoring, cha- high danger scoring chances, regular scoring chances, and expected goals. But when you watch it, it looks cleaner, and that speaks to the transition play. So once I get a better understanding of that and do a better dive, we'll talk more about that. But the first topic to specifically I wanted to hit today was just I don't think people realize what goaltending, how 
volatile goaltending is. Because we saw our friend Larry Brooks say Igor Shosturkin hasn't been a franchise goalie. We saw a lot of people unironically saying they should start Jonathan Quick until Shosturkin figures it out. We saw a lot of people saying stop comparing Shosturkin to Lundqvist based on two weeks. Like, I'm not here to say what Shosturkin playing bad is, like, acceptable because, you know, you know he's capable of a lot more. But every great goalie has a bad two weeks. You go in the, the Henrik Lundqvist box scores, there were bad two weeks, there were bad months. It happens. When your season is 82 games, you are going to have a bad two weeks here and there, and your numbers are still going to look fine at the end of the year because the season is so long. I, I know a lot of people get in their mind, well, they're off to 130-point pace, they can't afford to mess it up too much. They lost three out of four games over two weeks at the end of November and early December. Let's take a deep breath and put it within the context of our understanding of this player. Since Shesterkin got here, he has been good to all world. He has not been awful. He has not given them multiple bad months. He's given them bad weeks, but every goalie does. Goaltending is volatile. When you get in your own head, it gets worse. You think about the quote Shesterkin said, like after the Leafs game, I don't know what you want me to say. I'm sorry I sucked. He knows. It's not, it's not this like he has it, he doesn't have it. Every game is different from the one previous and the one after it. When you are in a rut, you are more inclined to keep playing in that rut until you find a way to get out of it. Go ahead. I see. I see the th- gears turning. I know you want to jump in. Yeah. I mean, are you like not not you? I'm talking like in general. Are you sitting here and, and telling me that Dominic Hasek didn't have a bad two weeks? Are you sitting here and telling me that Eddie Belfort didn't have a, a bad two weeks or? Carey Price or Ken Dryden or whoever, insert goalie name that you want here, whether it be from this year or from the 40s, they all had a bad two weeks. Like, it's so asinine how many people that are sports fans are reactionary as opposed to, hey, things happen sometimes and we we can't just draw conclusions from a two-week period. Like it's it's crazy to me how a, a couple of bad games, a couple of bad weeks, and all of a sudden some people are, you know, are throwing the towel when it comes to to to, to Shesterkin. Are you kidding me? This man just, I mean, he, this man is a Vesna winner. He's capable of incredible things, and he had a bad two weeks. And you are ready to to trade him for a for a tuna sandwich? Can we fix? Can we relax? Can we all as a society, when it comes to sports, relax when there's a a sample size of like three? Can we chill out? There's an 82-game season. Shashurkin's probably going to play like 55 of them, maybe 60, depending on John the Quick. I mean, he's John the Quick has been, again, still all world, still hasn't lost a game in regulation. Might never happen again, considering how he's playing. But with, with Shashurkin, he's been an all-world goaltender, and a two-week stretch where he wasn't that is, is not going to negate what he's done and what he's capable of. Everybody needs to relax. Calm down. Take a breather. Because I saw people saying, well, Shesterkin hasn't been great since 2022 when he won the Vesna. And my counterpoint to that is he was top 10 in goal save above expected in the regular season last year. He had, I want to say, like a 9-10, something like that in the regular season last year. Hang on. Let me pull it up real quick. I want to be accurate when I say this. He had a... He had a nine oh he had a nine sixteen last year, two point four eight goals against, and he was top ten in goals save above expected. He finished eighth in Vesna voting. He made the all-star game. That's not a bad season. 
If no. you want to say you want him to be closer to top three than top ten, sure, okay. But we're really in the weeds of picking nits here based on how much money he's getting paid in his previous performance. And last year in the playoffs, I, I, I'll i say it again. I said it last week. Of the goalies in the playoffs last year, in the goal saved above expected statistic, which accounts for quality of scoring chance, so if your team is playing bad defense in front of you, you are getting more credit for playing good goalie. He finished third. He played seven. He finished third. He played seven playoff games. Out of everybody in the entire playoffs, he finished third. The only two people who finished ahead of him went to the Stanley Cup final, and that was Aiden Hill and Sergei Bobrovsky. If you want to say you need him to be more consistent, that's one thing. But pretending that two bad weeks is uh, something in a recurring pattern of he hasn't been as good as everybody says he is. This is a consensus top five goalie in the world, no matter who you talk to. It's him, it's Sorokin, it's Vasilevsky, it's Connor Hellebuck, and then the fifth one, it's up for interpretation who you want to put in there. And you see I'm, Soros has been you could put Soros in, You could put Soros in there. There's a number of goalies you can Connor put Connor Ingram has been in. fantastic for Arizona as well, if Adam, you want to put him in there as well. But that's not a sustained. Like yeah, I'm yeah, talking about right, over an sure. extended period sure, of time. Sure, that's the sure. point. Since Shesterkin has got here, he's been nothing. He's been nothing but one of the ten best goalies in the entire league. Dog got in a car accident, missed three weeks, came back, and was fine after that. Okay, there is nothing to be worried about here. Ranger goaltending is so easy to point the finger at because, as we often discuss on this show. The vast majority of hockey fans do not understand what they are watching beyond just goals and assists. That's why counting stats are always the first thing you get to see cited in an argument. Not every goal can be saved. Not every sh- goal that gets allowed can be stopped. That just sometimes, you know, you can't see it. It gets deflected or you're having a bad night. It ju- it happens. But over the long course of what we've seen of four plus years of NHL goaltending from this player, we know him to be one of the best in the world. There is nothing in his indication. If you want to say maybe he's playing hurt because we know he missed a few games a couple weeks ago, okay, that's a different conversation than some of what I saw going around on social media. The the one last point I'll get in on Shesterkin is this. The reason you are inclined to let him ri- figure it out is if you are going to rely on 35-year-old Jonathan Quick to carry the fairy dust. 37. Through, and, yes, 35, 37, yeah. If you are going to rely on Jonathan 38 Quick, a month. If you are going to rely on Jonathan Quick to carry the fairy dust of this team for an entire season and a playoff run, you are not operating within reality. You have a better chance. And that's always what we're going for here when we're talking about probabilities and ideas. What's more likely? The all-world goalies having a bad two weeks or the 37-year-old is going to play 920 save percentage, top 10 goal saved above expected when you make him work more than once a week or once every or twice every two weeks. We got to talk we got to operate within the bounds of reality. Well, also this man has shown and proven time and time again that he is capable of being the best goalie on the planet. So, he has deserved more than deserved the runway to be like oh well, okay well these are this is not just some random goalie that that's been the prospect pipeline that's been having a bad two weeks and all of a sudden you know management and the fans are like oh this guy's trash get him out of here this is somebody that is proven to be one of the best if not the best goalie on the planet he had a bad two weeks the fact that some fans are like are, are so ready they're they're foaming at the mouth to 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 either blame him or get rid of him or bench him or do whatever when 
bad stretch has happened to every player in the league. Connor McDavid had a bad two weeks a few weeks ago. What are we talking about? Yeah, pretty much. Okay, moving right along. One of the topics that has been very, very interesting to watch develop this season is we are still trying to discern just how good Panarin's season has been because of the impact it's having on other players. We we, we are very much watching Lafreniere ascend, and we're gonna see very sh- we're going to see throughout the course of this season and eventually the playoffs. Took three coaches, well, but you know what we got there. We are going to see whether or not this is something that's, you know, this is who he is now. It just took getting a little bit of confidence in his game. And no matter who he plays with, he's going to have the same mentality or if it's Panarin bringing it out of him. And we talked about this two, two, three weeks ago that we expected there to be a little bit of a drop off going from Heedle to Trocek on that second line in the underlying numbers, just because they were clicking so well. And we saw Trocek in that role last year. Just it never looked quite right. And it's been the complete opposite. Trocek has been nothing short of outstanding. I, I put together a graphic this morning. He's setting career highs in scoring chances per 60, expected goals per 60, and high danger chances per 60. All three of those, the highest clip he has ever been at, at any point in his career. And he's playing the most minutes he's played at any point in his career. So those two things in conjunction... You said it before we started recording, the idea of a renaissance. Well, that implies he was once this good. Trocek has never played at this level for this extended period of time with this much ice time. I mean, in smaller roles in Carolina, you know, playing third line center or playing in Florida, playing a little bit lower in the lineup, he had put together comparable in individual statistics, one, you know, individual chances, that kind of thing. But I am still, we have grappled with Trocek as the 2C on this team because you and I never subscribed to the premise that he was capable of being a number two center on a Stanley Cup winning team. And when the Rangers signed him, that was the goal. They say, we want to win a Stanley Cup. This is the roster we think we're going to do it with. And this is the type of player we think we need. And we didn't subscribe to that idea because nothing in his profile told you he was capable of playing at this level. Now, discerning out whether this is a matter of Panarin playing at an all-world level and elevating both of his line mates to unseen career highs versus these players have always had this in them and it took the right environment to bring it out of them, that's where we start getting lost in the weeds and you get into the the types of arguments where we don't know. We genuinely aren't able to discern whether or not this is what Trocek is capable of or if he's just being the beneficiary of a Panarin, a great Panarin season. And that's really it's just I don't think there's a right answer. Well, yeah. And and to a certain extent, and I said this before we started recording as well, that we saw some of this happen with Ryan Strom when Strom was playing with Panarin. Panarin was essentially gifting him goals. To, for a lack of a better word, for a lack of a better way to say it, a lot of Strom's points were off the back of a Panarin incredible pass or some kind of passing play, and and or Strom passing it to Panarin, and that's that's how a lot of Strom's points happen. With Vincent Trocheck, it feels like, and I don't have the data to back this up, but I don't, I don't even know like how you would go and and figure this out, but it feels like just watching him play that he is much better at creating space for himself. Like, just just we talked about, even in, even in the Boston game on overtime, he recognized that the Boston, defen- the Boston players didn't follow him into the offensive zone. We saw that. If you, if you watch the replay, all three forwards were in a line. Vincent Trocek was cut, like, right, just gliding behind them, just 
get, he got all the red carpet in the world to just kind of go in and, and score a, a backdoor goal easy. That's one of the, the things I'm talking about in terms of creating space for himself. He is a dangerous player when he's on the ice. He has the confidence to play that kind of game. He's creating space for himself. Yeah, um, a lot of it has to do with the, with his line mates and how they're playing around him and with him. But some of it also just has to do with Trocek being uh, a, a skilled player that is creating space for himself that he hasn't shown he's able to do in large quantities prior to now. And the fact that he has this in his repertoire and is showing this off for the Rangers now in a time where they really needed him to do that. Philip Hedl, who knows when he's coming back? Vincent Trocek is the de facto second line center until who knows? So the fact that Trocek is taking this role and is running with it, showing that he's not only capable of doing it, but he is performing at this level is very impressive, and I'm very excited to see where this goes. We talked about it, I want to say, three weeks ago, where Lafreniere was shooting a lot more than he ever had at any point in his career, and it's because the defenses were respecting Panarin shooting more. And the Panarin shooting more has unlocked so much for this team, and it's just... It's befuddling that it took, you know, three years to get him back to what he was doing the first year he was on the team. And it just, you know, the first year he was on the team, he was a Hart Trophy finalist. In my opinion, he probably should have won the Hart Trophy because what he was doing was more impactful and more valuable to the Rangers than what McDavid was doing for the Oilers. And that's not a knock on McDavid. It's just that the Rangers struggle so much at five on five that year that the first year Panarin was on the team because they were so bad defensively that him scoring all of those points and driving play that much on that team was a lot more impressive and it's the same thing they that is the only line on the team that's over 50 percent and the key statistics because they are the only t line that actually keeps the puck in the offensive zone for an extended period of time now i understand Kreider and zabinijad have been saddled with the corpse of blake wheeler and that's going to hurt their underlying numbers and they are starting to put the puck in the met a little bit more the last few weeks and that's just you know simple regression they weren't going to shoot i think it was four percent they had when kaka was on their line prior to his injury so i think we get lost in the weeds at some point because uh, my point this morning when I tweeted what I did was, these are good players. It, there's never been an argument that Trocek, that Zabinijad are not good players. The argument has been, are they good enough to fill the roles the Rangers have them penciled in for to win a Stanley Cup? So I'm going to ask you this question. I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I have seven centers here. These are the last six Stanley Cups winning second line centers and Vinny Trocek, the last six. So Chandler Stevenson, Nazem Kadri, Anthony Sorelli, Braden Shen, Evgeny Kuznetsov, and Malkin. Where would you put Trocek amongst that group? I think he's only definitely clear of Chandler Stevenson and Braden Shen. After that, it becomes a debate. If you want to take Sorelli's defense over Trocek's offense, I'd understand an argument for that, but I don't know if I would necessarily agree. I think I'm definitely taking Kuznetsov. I definitely think I'm taking Kadri. I definitely think I'm taking Malkin over Trocek just because those guys, they have a little bit more dynamic ability to their game that Trocek doesn't. And that's really something you and I have hammered over the last year and a half is Trocek is good at everything. He's not great at any one thing. And that's really something you need throughout your lineup, especially if you want to get to that ceiling. 
it, the, the the question is really difficult to answer. And the reason why I say that is because Evgeny Kuznetsov was very good when the Caps won the Cup. He was, he's been so bad this season, he's been Well, better. we're not talking about that. We're talking about right. it in the context of the year they won the championship. Is Trocek capable of playing as well or better than that player at that given time? That's really uh, the point of the conversation that I think yeah. a lot of people don't, they lose it because they see, well, he's putting up, you know, point per game. He's having a really good season. It's not that the counting stats aren't there. It's that when they get to the playoffs and it's harder to score, is this guy going to be able to elevate his game and make plays happen outside of structure in a way that, you know, they couldn't against the Devils last year? You know, the Rangers had a really hard time at five on five against the Devils last year. And it's because they have guys who are good players, but they don't have that dynamic ability to their game. Or in the case of somebody like Zabinijad, they don't find it consistently enough to make an impact. That's really the conversation at hand. It's it's really tough because I, I think he's done a me much better job of creating the offense for himself this season, but we're not even at January yet. Yeah, I need to see him do it for 60 games before I can or not do it for 60 games and we get to March and then this the answer becomes a lot clearer. I think because now that he has one more runway to do more on this team offensively Two, you have Peter LaViolette, who's a coach that clearly trusts in him and, and gives confidence to him because Trocek is playing with as much confidence as I've ever seen him play with all of these things in mind. If he continues to do it, then my answer three months from now might be different than what it is now. So I want to see him continue to do, continue to play at this pace, continue to play, with this kind of offensive capability that he's that he's having right now, and then in three months you can re-ask me this question because right now, yeah, the he didn't necessarily play super well against the Devils. Also, kind of nobody did, so it's it's tough to answer that when the the team in and of itself, let's just say, did not have a great seven games. Off the top of my head, if you asked me, I'm definitely taking Malkin. I'm definitely taking Kuznetsov. I'm probably taking Kadri because Kadri had, what, 90-something points two years ago that season for the Avalanche, I want to say. I'm, I'm pulling it up right now. Don't You don't have to know off the top of your head. It was 87 points when he was the second-line center playing with guys like Rantanen, Landeskog, etc. Sure. The I think... I mean, if you put Trocek with Rantanen, Landeskog, I feel like he's he's capable of putting up not maybe not 87 points, but maybe like 70. Well, he's on pace for 73 right yeah. now playing with Panarin. So right. I, I think it's within the realm of possibility. I think you can get away with having a second line center that's not as good as, say, a Malkin, a Kuznetsov, a Kadri. If you have somebody to ride with them, kind of like what Vegas did last year with Chandler Stevenson, with Mark Stone, where as long as you have a play driver on your second line, it doesn't necessarily have to be your center. But it helps if it's your center. I think that's the thing. I Because, you know, centers are always going to be more valuable than wingers. They just are. They have more responsibilities. And that's why having someone capable of tilting the ice at that position is so much more valuable. Because they do more. They're just more involved in the game. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I, I hear what you're saying. I also think I, I would almost, I think my answer is I would rather somebody like Trocek on my second line if my third and fourth line centers by proxy are better than the other team's third and fourth line. 
because if because if you are going to put all of your talent in your bottom in your top six, the other team's bottom six, especially come playoff time, because that's when a lot of these guys get their get their contracts. If the other team's bottom six can skate circles around your bottom six, then I, I, I that's I'm not a fan of that. I would rather more talent throughout the throughout the roster. So if if I'm trading. Kadri for, for Trocek, for example, but my third line center is, let's just say Filipino is healthy. Filipino, as opposed to insert third line center here. Nick Benino. Yeah, like a, like a Nick Benino, who's being great in a fourth line role for this team, defensively at least. I would I would rather have that than, than say, a Malkin on my second line, but have nobody on my bottom six, which is where the Penguins kind of are right now hey man 2016 gino malkin i i think i'm taking that and listen i love i love malkin he's on my fantasy team still like he's i i i would i'm taking malkin every day of the week when it when it comes to specifically just malkin or trocek i mean giving malkin all day of the week like that's you know no one's no one's arguing that but if you put the caveat of, okay, well, you can have Malkin, but your third and fourth line centers are going to be guys off the street, or you can have Trocek as your second line center, but your bottom six are going to look a lot better. In terms of roster construction, if you give me those two choices, I'm probably going with Trocek and the, and the, and the fill-out. They need to fig- They need more um, long-term solutions in the bottom six. Yeah. I, I think that's something that's really jumped out to me over the last two weeks. Nick Benino's doing his best, but he's not a third-line center in 2023. They are asking a lot from him right now. That I, He just doesn't have the facilities to play at, at right now. He just doesn't anymore. And that's not a knock on who his game, but he's not a third-line center in 2023. I think there's a real argument that another two, three weeks – if Othman keeps playing the way he is in the AHL, I think he's worth a look at some point in the month of January just to see how far along he is. Because if he looks comfortable when he comes up, I'd be fine with that as opposed to waiting until the deadline because I don't think they can get by with the bottom six they have right now until the deadline. Because, you know, that's still all of January and February trying to get by missing two forwards because Hedl still isn't skating with the team and Kako is, you know... Kako is an indeterminate time away from beginning to skate again. They can't keep trying to get by, you know, with Ty Eberson and, you know, Johnny Brodzinski. They're okay in doses, but the longer you ask guys to play above their ability, the longer, the more likely you are that eventually the magic's going to run out. That's really where I'm at. Yeah, well, I also read Staples' article today where he was going through the mailbag and people asked him questions about the the roster and all that. Well, first of all, apparently the Rangers, like, either don't want to trade Barkley Goudreau and or don't want to include any of the sweeteners involved in trading him away because of his contract, which is uh, atrocious, which is one thing. But that's also most of where the money is going to come from. If you are make, if you are getting anybody of value on your forward group, money has to come out. They just have no money. Uh, yeah, because they haven't been accruing space because right. Hedl and Kako are in long-term injured reserve. There is yeah. no space for this team to to no. to get, you know, insert player here who makes a bunch of money. If you unless want, 
Unless they do the Tampa Bay. Unless right. they keep Hedo yeah. and Kucher, uh, and Kako out till the playoffs. Then you could go out and add I, Yeah, but, I mean, I guess. But those are your but, two options. But all, but in the article, Staples said that Kako might come back before the All-Star break. That's still, you know, that's still a month away. Right, I mean, that's which the is, first week right, of February. sure, but that's not April, right? No. So unless the Rangers really want to keep Kako out until April, I don't think they will. And I don't see why they should if Kako is healthy because they need Kapo Kako right now, at least defensively. Yeah, I don't care that he has three points in 20 games. I don't care. He's playing well. He's playing well, and defensively, he's somebody that the Rangers really need in the lineup. I do, please don't tweet at me that he has two goals. I don't care. Please, I don't care. But, like, the Rangers don't have space. It's it, Cap-wise, they, they do not have the flexibility to go out and make a big trade unless money goes out. Barkley Goudreau is the most expendable player on this team, given how much he makes. He's the only movable one, too. Right. Well, the problem is, is that he's not really movable because his contract sucks ass. So unless the Ra- like the Rangers don't have their second round pick, I think this year and also next year, they don't they like a lot of their picks that could be used in a sweetener are currently not available to them. They already yeah. move them elsewhere. So Barclay Goudreau has to be moved in some kind of deal that sees a sizable return for, for the Rangers. The problem is, is that nobody wants Goudreau and the Rangers don't have the sweeteners to make it happen unless they move out more second round picks from even further out. So uh, fact check, they yes. have their second this year. They don't okay. have their third and next year they don't have their second okay. or their third Apologize. and the year after yeah. that, they don't have their second. Oh, they great. The, very yeah. good. Very, very good but stuff. The counterpoint yeah. to that is, at this point, you gotta go for it. I, that's listen, the counterpoint I, to that. I've, I agree. When you when you have a team that's this good, when you have a team, it's not every day, and certain organizations around the league can attest to this. It's not every day that your team is sitting at the at the top echelon of the league, looking as good as this team is, and has the ability to make a trade if necessary slash will be necessary. The, the Rangers don't have the cap space, but when you know. Wins in this league are very hard to come by. So when they come at this kind of clip that the Rangers are seeing this year with the kind of roster and talent they have, throw every pick at the wall. I don't care. Like, as a fa- as a fan, I don't care about the picks. Ask the Boston Celtics about their picks. When Danny Ainge, who is now with the Jazz, just kept trading people for picks, kept accruing picks, and what did that give them? It gave them a, a bench of 65 people, and none of them are all that good. They got, like, what, two seasons of Kyrie? That was, yeah, like, like, that it, was it, their best? It, it doesn't... The, the picks are only great if they turn out to be good players. The idea of a draft pick is, is worth more most of the time than what the draft pick actually becomes. Trade the draft picks. I don't care what they are. If the draft picks that you trade away get you a Stanley Cup win, I don't care. I don't care. Yeah, no. that That's really the... And we'll, we'll end this part of the conversation on this note. The Rangers, even if they t- they get, you know, even if they keep all their picks, any of those guys are two to three years away from coming into the lineup. And at that point, you know, Panarin's 34, 35, Zbigniew's 33, 34, Kreider's 34, 35. At that point, it doesn't matter. So this this year, last year, they put a lot of chips in. They did. They gave up all those second-round picks, the third-round picks for Kane, Tarasenko, Mikola. They put all their chips in last year. They didn't get anything to show for it. 
you got to double down. If you were going to do it for last year's team, which didn't show you anything close to what this team did, you got to double down and say, this group is better. We need to reinforce this group. We'll worry about it down the road because, you know, if we don't win this year or next year, we're probably not winning ever. So we need to go put as many assets as we can into this group. That That's where we can tie the bow on this. Okay. Two things to wrap up on. Number one, first up, the guess who. Okay. This player was drafted by the Pittsburgh Penguins, went to the Vancouver Canucks, and finished his career as a New York Ranger. This is an older player. This is somebody okay. who is pre-John Tortorella. Forward? Yes. Okay. Uh, older as in? Long career in Vancouver. He is most known for his time with the Canucks. Oh, Marcus Neslin. There you go. Nicely yeah. done. Three yeah. questions. Nicely yeah. done. Okay. Last thing to wrap up on. Rank the four coaches who have been fired so far this season. Okay. In the order of preference you would sure. like to have them. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, so the Okay, so it's... Uh, DJ from from Ottawa. Uh, I mean, I'm not, back. Babcock is not included in this conversation. No. I'll tell you that right now. Uh, Everson, Baruby, and Jay Woodcroft. Those are the four: DJ Smith, Jay yep. Woodcroft, Craig Baruby, Dean Everson. Rank those four in the order you would like to have them if you were trying to win. Jay Woodcroft probably number one. Dean Everson number two. Uh, probably Baruby at three, and DJ Smith at four. But like, I think at least three of them are good options because yeah. Jay Woodcroft is not the reason the Oilers were terrible. The Oilers could not buy a save to save their lives during that during that awful stretch where the Oilers just kept losing games. Yeah, I don't know what you expect Jay Woodcroft to do. He's not playing goalie. He's not the one stopping pucks. So I don't know what the Oilers expected Jay Woodcroft to do about it. But no, no amount of coaching is going to make Stuart Skinner make a save. That's just not how that works. So, Jay, I think Jay is number one. I think he's, I think he's really good at making the making the best of a bad situation. Like, yeah, he has McDavid, he has Drysital. Have you seen a lot of the bottom six players that Jay Woodcroft has had to deal with? And the Oilers remained a good team despite that. Yeah, I mean, McDavid and Drysital are going to give you points. Sure, the goaltending is bad, and the Bottom six and the depth scoring has been bad. So the things that Jake Woodcroft has been able to do despite that is great. And I, I value his coaching. Dean Everson, kind of the same thing. The, the Wild couldn't buy a save. What is Dean Everson supposed to do about that exactly? I don't know. I, I, it's, it's always wild to me. And you can, you can argue the same, but the same thing about DJ Smith as well. The Senators have two goalies that can't make saves. They they signed Jonas Corposalo to that four-year contract, I think it was, knowing he can't stop pucks. And, oh, what do you know? The Senators have bad goaltending. Oh, gee. Color me surprised. So, and Craig Berube, like, it, it was just time. It was just, I guess it was just time for him to go. He, he, he and... The, the, the crybaby, both the, the two of them saved the season in St. Louis, won the Stanley Cup, and then ever since then, you know, Brube, Brube has done a really good job, I think, in St. Louis. I think maybe maybe it was time for him to go. You can argue the intangibles or in the weeds or whatever you want to do. We're not in the St. Louis locker room. We don't really know what happened at the end of the day, but I think at least three of them are, are solid options. I don't, I, with, in terms of DJ and Ottawa, 
I don't really know. I mean, there's I know the Senators fans a lot. A, lo- a lot of Senators fans are not very happy with him. I know the team is very inconsistent with him as head coach. How much of that is on him versus the players and the goaltending and all that? I don't know. I don't have an answer for you. I do know that Ottawa has been looking for a goalie for a hundred years. They haven't had one since like since Hasek? The Hamburglar. Respect uh, Andrew Hammond. I mean, okay. He had a really fifteen games of he Andrew had a really good he had a really good stretch. Okay, but then he came back and he was what? What 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 what, what was he, Nick, when he when he came back ass. and said, I'm gonna he do it ass. again? Yeah, yeah, thank thank you. Thank you. They have not had a stable goalie in there. I mean, even Craig Anderson over there in Ottawa. He had he had good years, but I don't want to say he was you know, Craig Anderson gave the Rangers a lot of hell over the years. I, yeah. I will always respect Craig Anderson for, even though he was always just, you know, like slightly above average, for whatever reason, the Rangers just couldn't figure him out more than once. I mean, the, losing a playoff series to an Ottawa team that had like five good players on it, still one of the most disgraceful things to ever yeah. happen to this franchise. Terrible, terrible, terrible series that was. But I like in terms of the four coaches, I think at least three of them are going to be good elsewhere. With yes. DJ, I don't know the answer to that but i'm sure somebody's gonna give him another chance so we'll see real quick I'll, i would rank them i would probably say d uh, i would probably say woodcroft one baruby two evison three dj smith four i agree with you that woodcroft evison and baruby if given other opportunities will probably end up being successful i think baruby and evison have shown the ability to elevate groups that are decent from good from decent to really good the the Winning a Stanley Cup as an interim coach is a really fascinating phenomenon, and it happens in the NHL, the most common of the four major North American sports where the interim coach leads the team to a championship. And For whatever reason, hockey is the best at capturing the lightning in the bottle type scenario. Okay, Andrew, the last question I have for you, and this one will this one will ruffle some feathers. Marc-Andre Fleury, overrated, properly rated, underrated? I think he's properly rated. I don't think he's underrated because of the amount of love and support people have for him. I don't think he's overrated because, I mean, listen, when you win that many cups and when you play that well, leading your team to the cups, then you deserve a lot of credit for him. So I think, yeah, some people some people definitely overrate him. Some people underrate him. I think as a, as a, as a median, I think he's properly rated. There's a math. I, think, I, I haven't used that math term in forever, but you know what? There you go. I agree with you from that perspective. I do think, you know, based on your pre your based on your rooting interests, if you've rooted for a team he's been on, or if you're Canadian, you're a little more biased towards his impact on your roles. I don't think he was ever the best player on his own team. I don't think he was ever one of I okay. I think he was probably one of the five best goalies in the league a couple when of you're, times. When you're when you're when your teammates are Crosby, Malkin, and Latang, it's very difficult to be the best player on your team. Yeah, no, go definitely one of the the cornerstones of that the this era that era of Penguins hockey. I should say it's not that era of Penguins hockey anymore because the Penguins stink. But <laughs> that's a different story we can revisit down the road. Mike Sullivan might be on that list. Nah, no shot, uh, no shot. Well, uh, the Penguins see. ownership isn't aware they own a hockey team. The Penguins ownership has a liaison who goes to Penguins games, take notes, and gives them to the people who own the team. The, ah, so John that's Henry, what Dubis does. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I'm that's kidding, a different I'm person. Kidding, kidding. There's a person above Dubis who only just goes to games to take notes and then reports back to John Henry, who, you know, also owns the Red Sox and mm. Liverpool. Is that Mario Lemieux? Like, Is that who you're talking about? 
Mario Lemieux sold his interest in the Penguins. I don't think he has an actual ownership stake. I'm in sure the he's still there. I'm sure he's still. Mario's hanging out. Yeah. yeah, he's he's going to games. He's having fun. Yeah. All right. That'll do it for this week's episode of the Liberty Loop podcast. We are live every Monday, Twitter, Twitch, and YouTube, 6 p.m. Eastern. Available on all the major podcasting platforms over on YouTube as well. We will see you guys next week. Later.